0: talk herdy to me taking a deep dive into border collies and other herding breeds helping you play to their strengths, minimize their weaknesses and understand their quirks listen in to learn for leading training and behavior experts on how to set your dog up for success understand your urban herder more and hit those training goals welcome back to talk her to the podcast where we maximize their strengths minimize their weaknesses and understand their quirks and today we're going to be discussing motivation and re- reinforcement now the right motivation is the foundation for all effective training and this is incredibly individual specific and will be dependent on preference circumstance and environment now um there was a post put out by fluent dog um which is a training company um, and they put post out on facebook about how reinforcement drives behavior and they put a really brilliant visual representation of this and if any of you actually want to go see the, the the visual representation that they've done we'll share it onto our facebook page the urban herder herding breed specialists but basically what they were sort of discussing and what they were trying to show people is that what you reinforce creates the behavior drives the behavior and what does reinforcement history look like for your dog so in this this infographic they have three dry uh, three jars on the front of each jar they have a label one that says sit one that says recall one that says heel now the jar with the sit in it has loads and loads of pennies in it whereas the recall and the heel have a lot less and what it is is you have to sort of imagine that each behavior your dog performs is a jar every time we reinforce the dog for performing that behavior you put a token or a penny into said jar the more tokens your behavior has in a particular uh, jar the bigger the reinforcement history they have for that behavior and the bigger the reinforcement history for the behavior the more likely it is for that behavior to happen again now as humans we end up heavily reinforcing behaviors such as sits. now sits are useful yes but they're not ideal they're not something that I would put a lot of emphasis on with my training recall and heal work yes but this is something that people tend to sort of they do it to begin with and then it's something that they fade off however sits get highly reinforced throughout the day because we always if we give our dogs a treat we'll say sit to get your treat we always if we ask them to sit, wait for their meals, they're sitting and waiting for their meals, Um, going outside we ask them to sit, we open the door, we let them out. So sitting gets a massive reinforcement history inadvertently throughout the day, however things like recall and heel work tend to sort of not so much, so it's important that we start to build the reinforcement history today for the behaviours you want to see more of. And what you kind of have to think is what reinforcement are you actually putting behind what behavior for your dog? And when you start to actually look at it in this representation in terms of how much we do inadvertently reinforce those sits and things like that and how little we reinforce certain things such as recall in terms of when our dogs are younger, we tend to put a lot into recall and heel work. But as they get older, it just becomes that, that is what they do. And people stop reinforcing it. And then you start to see through adolescence and times like that that the behavior starts to decrease quite considerably because A, they're going through a difficult period, adolescence is really difficult for most dogs. Um, and also B, the fact that we've started to reduce that reinforcement history and when i'm discussing motivation i think it's really important that i also mention that it isn't just a positive thing motivation isn't just a positive thing motivation can be a positive thing where it is our dog wanting to get something they want to get the reward they want to get access to the reward they want to have that interaction with their owner but it can also be a negative thing and this is where they want to stop something or get away from something and this is where punishment and aversives come in and When you're training and when you're trying to motivate your dog to do something, I think it's really important that we look at the impact that this has on your relationship with your dog. Whether it's a positive thing where you're building your relationship, you're making a secure relationship and building your dog's confidence, or whether you're breaking it down. And there's a few people that will ask, well, if a dog is trained diversely, why do they still like their owner? Why do they still love their owner? And this is due to a thing called trauma bonding. And it's where animals or humans as well will form a bond with their person who is forming the abuse, who is who is doing the negative thing to them. And this is where you can get dogs that are trained aversively who are incredibly obedient and they listen to everything that they that is saying. But underneath, you kind of have to look at the emotion behind it. For me, that's really important is we don't want to be attaching negative emotions to, be, to behaviours. I want to be trying to build this positive emotion, build our dog's confidence and build a well-trained, emotionally resilient dog. So a lot of people that I work with have issues motivating their collies um, and they'll say, oh, well, my dog doesn't work for anything outside. And this is where it's really important that we start to uh, understand the impact of circumstance and environment. So, for example, Ether, my eldest, she is really, really easy to motivate. She can you can pretty much pick up anything and she will work for it. Twigs, stones, um toys, anything that she thinks she may be able to play with, she will work for it. It doesn't matter what it is, it could be a cork, it could be a plastic bottle, it doesn't matter. And this doesn't change through the environment or through the circumstance. She is incredibly toy motivated and it doesn't necessarily matter what that toy is. She will work for it. And that is the same for most foods with Eva. So Eva will work for kibble. She will work for cheese, chicken, shop bought treats. She's not fussy. And again, this doesn't change in the environment at all. Um, you can work her for kibble in the house. You can work for kibble in the park. It doesn't matter. However, Piper, my eldest and my youngest, pardon me, she's incredibly or she was incredibly difficult to motivate specifically through adolescence as a puppy she was really keen really driven um she then had had, hit adolescence she hit sexual maturity she had a season and then a phantom pregnancy and after that she was really difficult to motivate um food she would take in the house um but it had to be high level shop or treats or high level rewards and when I'm saying this you kind of have low level rewards and this for me is generally the kibble that they get fed for their meals if they're fed on kibble or rubbish that of dry treats bony or stuff like that medium level is sort of semi-moist shop-bought treats so your your wag your dragonfly products things like that um, and then your high level rewards are your wet stuff so chicken cheese real meat something that's wet and smelly and really kind of drives your dog um and like i said Eve pipes would work for High-level shop bought treats or like cheese and stuff like that in the house, but anything less than that, she would spit them. She was not interested in them. I then would get into a different environment, so um the park, and she wouldn't take food at all. um so I knew I could train with food at home, but out and about, it would take her a good half an hour to even start considering taking food. Um, however, toys she would work for beautifully. And um, but again, it was specific toys. So in the home, she would work for pretty much anything, um toy-wise, but out and about, it had to be a tuggy Um, she wouldn't play ball out and about she doesn't particularly play ball much in the house anyway Um, and she would play with other stuff in the house like her squeaky bones and things like that but out on a walk she wouldn't it is tuggy and that was it so understanding the environment you're putting your dog into and what reinforcement is going to be suitable for that environment for that dog is really important so when we start to look at motivating our unmotivated dogs first thing we have to look at is the environment and the circumstance that we're using these re- rewards and reinforces in. the next thing is looking at finding your dog's pounds so like i said earlier piper was Efor will work for anything anything in Efor's land is a pound she will work for that however for piper majority of stuff that Efor would work for are beans and like for example for me i work for pounds That is what I work for. I will not work for a tin of beans. And that is the same for with my dog. She has to work for her pounds and her pounds are specific stuff. Everything else to her is beans and she doesn't want it because they have no value to her. They can't get her anything. Um, So like I said, for if pretty much everything's a pound she'll work for it and she loves it piper is a lot more difficult for her and it was figuring out what was the difference between those pounds and those beans and then looking at them in different environments as well it's also looking at how we use those reinforcers what we do with them and how we use them is also really important so in terms of toys rather than just saying my dog is toy motivated looking at what type of toy does your dog like is it rubber is it plastic is it material is it a tennis ball is it hard is it soft um looking at the material, looking at how we interact with it—is it something that they play with us together? Is it a predatory chase type behavior with a tugger? Is it a chase and catch with a frisbee or a ball? Is it a sniffing it out if we toss it into long grass? Looking at how we're using the reinforcer, not just what type of reinforcer we are, and this is the equivalent with food as well. Looking at the type of reinforcer, like I said, we've got high-level, low-level reinforcers. Then looking at how we're using it. Collies like control of movement. That is what they like to do. So I always generally find with collies that they really enjoy a toss and catch where you kind of toss it up in the air and they catch it midair. I've always found that that's worked really well with collies. Um, this is something that you can teach your dog is to catch. Um, not all dogs come with a pre-built in catch. Some dogs have to learn the skill. Um, and it is something that you can spend a little bit of time teaching your dog to do. Um, you can also do a chase where you toss the food out and the dog chases it and catches it. Um, You can do some snippy stuff, tend to find snippy stuff works really well for dogs that are lacking in confidence or can be a little bit worried or anxious around stuff. Um, So tossing the food into um, some long grass, into some leaves, same as with toys, if the dog is toy motivated, tossing it in and saying, find it, where's your ball, where's your Where's your treats? Whatever. And the dog sniffing and finding it can be really useful Um, and building drive for food as well. Not all collies will come pre-wired with a drive for food. So looking at how we can make food more interesting. Sometimes I will use my evening meal with my dog and I'll use it for training and look at what they enjoy in terms of how they're interacting with the food, how I'm interacting with the food in terms of whether I'm tossing it, catching it, doing some sniffy work with it. I generally will always feed them one meal in a bowl um, just because I don't think it's fair that they work for every meal. But the other meal I will ask them to do something with. So it may be actively me training or putting it in an enrichment toy or something that just kind of makes it a little bit harder, and a little bit more difficult for them. So once we start to look at that, we can also look at environmental rewards. So things that our dog is doing that is going to be rewarding for them, that is in the environment. So opportunity to sniff, um, opportunity to chase something. One of my Efa's favourite things in the world is to chase squirrels. I have no issue with that as long as I have some control over it. And I train this through the pre mat principle, which is basically if you eat your greens, you can have your pudding. That really old saying, you have to do something that you don't want first to get the thing that you do want. So for Pife, that is, you have to come back to me. If she sees the scroll, she'll run back to me. I will either then say, go get it or I will put her on a lead and say, actually, it's not appropriate to do that here. And it's just a way that I've given her option to do something that she wants to do, but I've built in an element of control in there. So she doesn't just see a squirrel and bog off. She sees a squirrel and come back to me. I can then say, go get it, which is allowing her that environmental reward. Or I say, actually, there's a road quite nearby. This isn't the best environment. Let's put you back on the lead. And I will reward with something else that I have. So it might be an opportunity to chase something else like a ball or something like that because she's really ball driven or an opportunity to sniff and find some food. And a lot of collie um, a lot of shepherds will train young collies. Um, recall off sheep using this pre-map principle so when they're training their young dog on sheep they'll be sending it round on their flanks and what they'll then start to do is they'll start to do a come um a that'll do which means come with me and a lot of uh, shepherds will do they'll put their dog into a lie down they will then walk a lot of the times young dogs are trained on a long line they will then walk to the end of the long line pick up the long line and they'll say that'll do and tap their leg As the dog moves away and the dog will move away with the the shepherd and they'll get a few feet, they'll give them a big fuss, a big fuss to say, yes, well done. And then they send them back around the sheep. So they say, you come away from the sheep and you can then have access to said sheep again. So this is a way that we can use environmental rewards and pre-map principle and things like that to a in their traditional setting is how it's used and then b we can start to use it for things that we have issues with like such as chasing squirrels and stuff like that now you obviously have to decide whether these behaviors are appropriate or inappropriate um like i say if Efa was going out and chasing sheep that would be wildly inappropriate and i wouldn't let her do that however to this day she has never caught a squirrel and um, they're generally up in the trees and she's chasing them along like following them along the branches so there is no issue with her harming the animal and where I live I literally live in the middle of a wood so we are surrounded by squirrels so I had to have some control over it but it is something she really enjoys to do so I don't mind her doing it as long as I have an element of control around the behavior and this is something that you need to sort of think of with your dog is looking at if what is driving my dog? What is making my dog want to do these behaviours? So is my dog food motivated? Is it toy motivated? And how am I interacting with these environments? But then it's also looking at if your dog is doing something wrong or something that we deem to be wrong or inappropriate, what is driving that behaviour? Every behaviour has a reinforcement behind it, a reinforcement history behind it. Um, And some of those reinforcements will come from us and it'll be constructive stuff that we want to train. Um, And other times it's inappropriate in our eyes. So, for example, if you've got a collie that is going out and running up to other dogs and wanting to play with them, the reinforcer behind that is opportunity to interact with their own species. It's a social interaction. You generally have four attributes that are driving all behaviours. It's play, food, attention or affection um and you kind of have to break something down to look at what is driving those behaviors so for example if your dog is running away from you and running up to other dogs to try and play with other dogs it's that social interaction that is driving that behavior and that is an intrinsically reinforcing behavior it makes them feel good it fulfills them in a way um opportunity to herd things so collie is a massive thing is, is opportunity to herd um and giving opportunity to go and herd something such as other dogs A lot of the times you'll see dogs, collies will run around other dogs and then it kind of looks like they're playing, but they're not actually playing. They're just trying to control the movement. And for them, opportunity to herd is much more reinforcing than opportunity to play, if that makes sense. And a lot of the times you will see when collies start to play, you'll end up with this sort of instinctual drift where it starts as play and it ends as herding because the dog starts to move too quickly and it triggers that genetic switch in their head and all of a sudden it's dropped into herding, which isn't so fun for the other dog, but it's the best thing in the world for your collie. Um, well, in their eyes anyway. So when we're looking at behaviors that our dogs are doing we need to look at what is driving that behavior why are they doing that behavior what is fulfilling about that and what is motivating that behavior we then need to look at what we would like them to do instead um, and then look at what reinforcers we have in our reinforcement toolbox and our motivational toolbox that is going to have an opportunity to compete with that so for example piper um, when she hit her lessons she had a big issue with bird chasing um it kind of appeared out of nowhere one day we were literally walking on the same water that we do on a regular basis and all of a sudden she set off and she must have done about two or three laps around this moor and she came back to me eventually when she was good and ready not when i wanted her to at all um and that kind of triggered this bird chasing behavior that one day um we had a massive issue with it where the second we were up on open fields she would just chase fields uh, chase birds the second she saw them so i started looking what was driving that behaviour? What was doing it? It was the opportunity to chase, that opportunity to have that predatory sequence. That's what she wanted to do. Fair enough. Um, so what I started to do was limit her from being able to do that. We put her on Long Line, which managed the, the behaviour so she couldn't fulfil that 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 behaviour change. She couldn't do it fully. Um, I then started to look at what I could do with her to, to fulfil that need that she had. So we started doing lots of chasey-based um, games, so toy work generally, because like I said earlier, she's not interested in food. Um, and generally, when your dog is leaving you to do predatory stuff, food doesn't always work because when you think of the predatory sequence that I orientate, chase, grab, bite, kill, bite, consume, um, food comes at the end. That consumerity aspect of that sequence is right at the end of that sequence. The chase is in the middle. If your dog is in that chase part of that sequence, they're not going to want to eat because the eating comes at the end. Um, so, food just didn't really work for her especially when she was really in that predatory drive once she would kind of slipped back out of it and we'd been working for a little bit she would then start to take food um but when she was really on that predatory drive um moment no chance so I started working on giving her opportunity to have predatory chase but with me so we used to use chasey tuggies or flirt balls, things like that that gave her that opportunity to have that but in a really controlled fashion with me. Um, And we started looking at teaching her to disengage from birds. And if she did give chase, recall when asked, we now have no issue with it. Um, But finding that motivation and finding that reward was the key to being able to do that training. Otherwise, I would have spent my entire life battling with her doing this. So we're now going to bring you on to our new feature of this podcast. This is question time. You guys can send in questions related to previous podcasts or future topics you'd like us to cover. And we're going to hand pick a few questions each week and answer them on our podcast. So to this week's um, question has come from Dee. And she's asked, how can I up my game when faced with very luring environments with lots of different scents? And my dog lacks focus and motivation when facing these sorts of situations it's specifically when I do scent work with her when we work outside she is starting to become more interested in what's around her instead of focusing on the scent and I'm finding it difficult to re-motivate her and re-engage her so first thing I would look at in this is I would look at what is the motivation you are using is it appropriate for that dog does she actually think that she does she actually enjoy that or is it something that you think she enjoys second thing I would look at is in the environment are we moving our training too quickly have we gone from something that's relatively low in distraction level to something that's really quite high for that dog and they're struggling to bridge that gap maybe we need to find an environment that's just a slightly a step down um, and make it that little bit easier for them so rather than trying to do it in the big open garden do it in a small area of your garden on lead um, <clears throat> try and set your dog up for success so making sure. job that we're not putting them in an environment that they're not equipped to be able to deal with too quickly and then again looking at that motivation looking at that reinforce that we're using making sure that our dog actually wants it rather than something that we think our dog would want because they're a dog and we just think all oh, dogs like cheese or whatever so that would be my answer to that is look at the reinforce uh, the environment making sure that if she is really struggling what can we change to set her up for success maybe she needs to go on lead maybe we need to make move the environment and make it somewhere slightly easier and then i would also look at the reinforcement that we are using um, if anyone has any more questions please don't hesitate to email them or put them onto our facebook group or facebook page um, either the talk herded to me facebook group or the urban herder herding breed specialist facebook page It's been brilliant to talk to you about this. I love this topic so much and I can't wait to uh, dive in next week. Next week we're talking to Claire Ross all about deaf collies and how you can help train your deaf dog or deaf collie.